listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Book of Micah, once again, we have this week and next week, and we will close up this walk through the book of Micah. And if you grabbed a bulletin this morning, you're going to see, wow, we have a lot of verses to cover. And so what I'm going to do quickly this morning is I'm going to quickly give you the rest of chapter 5. We made it through verse 6 last week. And then we'll slow down and we'll walk through chapter 6. But all through this book, we've seen two themes over and over again. We have seen the first theme that sin always demands judgment. That sin must be paid for. And God can't just look the other way. He can't just shrug his shoulders and say, well, they didn't mean to do that. They didn't mean any harm. All sin must be paid for. And then we've seen over and over again that judgment is always wrapped in grace. Even though Israel must endure judgment for their sin, God always leaves them with hope. And what we'll see for the rest of Micah uh, are those themes over and over again. And so here's the rest of Micah chapter 5. Micah 1 through 2, verses 1 through 2 of 5, was once again judgment is coming. Judgment for your sins and your rebellion is coming. But in verses 3 through 4, we saw last week, but the hope and the grace in this judgment is that God is going to send a new ruler. Remember that ruler was going to be from Bethlehem, the city of David. This new ruler then, in verses 5 through 11, is going to come and destroy all of Israel's enemies. Their outside enemies, God is going to come and destroy them. Micah chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, we see the new ruler will destroy the false worship. So God is going after, the Lord is going after those inside enemies that they've allowed inside the walls. And the false worship will be destroyed. And then in verse 15, we see the Lord will judge the nations that oppose him and his people Israel. And so sin always demands judgment. Every sin that they committed, God was saving and he was going to pour his judgment out on those sins. But his judgment is always wrapped in grace. And the hope they had was a new ruler. Even though they would be sent into exile, it would not be forever. And so this morning, we will pick back up in chapter 6 that begins Micah's third message. For 40 years, Micah preached, judgment is coming. And we have three different messages. And his third message begins in chapter 3. And if I had to summarize what the theme of this section is, I would say it this way. Relationships built on obligation always end in dissatisfaction, disappointment, disillusionment. That all relationships built on obligation, they're always going to end that way. There'll always be dissatisfaction. There'll always be disappointment. And there'll always be a disillusionment about that. And this is what Israel was experiencing. We will see they're going to build their relationship. It's being built with the Lord upon obligation. And they'll find dissatisfaction, disillusionment, and disappointment. But relationships that are built upon obligation will always end 
and dissatisfaction, disillusionment, and disappointment. Think about how that statement, think about how true that is in our lives, in the relationships that you have. God created us to live in community. We're to be about the business of being in one another's lives. And God created us to need each other. But when we build those relationships, whether it's with your spouse or a friend or even with your children, when they're built upon obligation, they'll never be what God planned. Something like this, that Marla loves the hibiscus flower. She, she always has. And I, I know that about her. So let's say that I searched and I found that there's this rare hibiscus flower that, that grows in a remote area that's really only in West Texas. So her birthday's coming up. So I make the plan to travel, I don't know, seven or eight hours to this town. Don't really know where I'm going. And I finally get there and maybe I find some locals at a local cafe and I tell them I'm going to search for this rare hibiscus flower. Have you seen it? Do you know about it? And these locals say, well, there's this one rancher we know that has a few from time to time. If you drive down this road, you know, go past this water tower at this creek and these three cows in this field, you turn there and you'll find him at the end of the road. And I travel, maybe it takes me 45 minutes or an hour, and I finally find his house. I walk up to him and knock on his door. He comes out and I tell him that my wife's birthday is coming up. She loves the hibiscus flower. And I heard that he might have some rare flowers on his ranch. He says, well, believe it or not, I actually do. But because they're so rare, they, they come for at a price. I can't just give these away. And we negotiate, and he settles on a price of $500. I think, okay, it's her birthday. Man, I'm, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I pack my supplies in my bag, and I, I head out, and he's kind of sending me in a way and across the mountain. Maybe it's five miles out. And I finally, I finally in this, this ravine, I find this rare hibiscus flower. Take out that shovel carefully, dig around not to disturb those roots, and you take it out carefully to, to not damage it, and you wrap those, those roots in newspaper and then burlap sack, and I take my last water bottle, and, and, and I, I keep that flower wet on the journey back. I get to his ranch, and I pay him the $500, and I make that trek all the way home. I find a beautiful pot, and I plant it, and I nurse this thing to make sure that it is going to make it, it's going to live, and her birthday finally shows up. That morning, she's enjoying her birthday breakfast, and I walk in with this beautiful pot and this beautiful, rare hibiscus flower, and I bring it to her, and I present it to her. Now, the day is here, it's your birthday, and this is what I say, Marla, as your husband, I'm obligated to get you a present for your birthday. I know you love hibiscus flowers, so I drove all the way to West Texas. I hiked over 10 miles to even to get, even paid $500 for this rare hibiscus flower to fulfill my obligation. I hope you like it. Happy birthday. Now, what is wrong with that picture is that it's a relationship that I did all the right things. I found what she loved. I sacrificed to get it. But the gift is completely tainted when it's done from obligations and not love. So relationships that are built on obligation are always going to end in dissatisfaction, disappointment, and disillusionment. So let's see this lived out in Micah chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. I'm reading once again 
um, for the ESV or the English Standard Version. It says, hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. So Micah began his book. Do you remember back in chapter 1? He began with a courtroom setting where God is sitting as the judge. And he's also the witness. And he's the prosecutor. And he's even the one that's been wronged. And here he sits before the people. So we have now another courtroom setting. In this setting, the Lord God calls the people to plead their case. He says, okay, now is your time to plead your case, Israel. The Lord tells them to raise their voices to the mountains. And these mountains, he says, the people are to plead their case. And, uh, and, it, and it's now it says it's the Lord's turn. The Lord turns to the mountains and he says in verse 2, Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and your enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. So the Lord, he calls all of the mountains to listen to this indictment, his case against his people. And I believe Micah is referring to all the people around them. He said, I want you, Israel, to make your case. And those that have been watching you every single day in how you're living, how you are treating each other, how you are worshiping, I want them to see if what you're saying is true. But before Israel can speak... God asked them a question in verse 3. He says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? Anytime the Lord asks a question, it's probably one to not answer. He knows the answer. But he says, What have I done to you? Have I wearied you? Answer me. If God says, Answer me, you better be ready. But I want you to notice something about this. He's about to lay out his indictment on the people. But he begins with, oh, my people. He's about to lay down his indictment for their rebellion and their sin. And he still calls them my people. Their actions and their rebellion could never be enough to nullify their relationship with God. The relationship between them and the Lord was sealed in a covenant and nothing can break that. I mean, always just remember this, that before God ever gave his people the law on Mount Sinai, before that ever happened, he'd already made them his people. The Lord called them and he rescued them from slavery before he ever gave them one command on how to live their life. That the relationship was always before the law. That the relationship is not built on their performance. They are his people no matter what. What? So hear me this morning. If you're in Christ, your status with God is not based on your performance. You are His. And now the question, he says, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? The Lord asked this when he says, what have, what have I done? What have I weird? What have, what have I done to burden you? And God is getting at something that we, we all struggle with. Relationships built on obligation, they always bring dissatisfaction. If you've ever been in that kind of relationship, you've probably seen this. A relationship built on obligation, it always ends in dissatisfaction. Because I believe deep down, God knows that his people 
feel that he has not done enough for them. The people have become completely dissatisfied with God's provision for their life. And they are wanting more and more. Because this relationship, it does nothing but breed selfishness. They're in that mindset that, yes, I remember all those things, but what have you done for me lately? And that's how they're looking at their relationship with the Lord because it's built on just obligation and they are now completely dissatisfied with it. So notice the Lord's response. He says, for I brought you. I brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and and, uh, Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, the king of Moab, and what Balaam, the son of Bor, answered me. And what happened, and you got to be careful with this town, Shittim and Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice four things uh, about these two verses here. The Lord is going to bring out four things for the people. He says, what have I done? What have I done to weary you? What have I done to to burden you? What have I done for you? Well, let me just give you a few. One, he brought them out of a land of Egypt. There they were in slavery and captivity, begging God to hear them and redeem them. And he redeems them from that house of slavery. The Lord brought them out of that and he gave them freedom. The Lord redeemed them. He ransomed them. God paid the price to set them free. And then he mentions Moses and Aaron. Moses, Moses was that great messenger. He was the one that represented God to his people. Moses was God's messenger. That's how they heard from the Lord. And he used Moses. He was his mouthpiece. Aaron, Aaron's that high priest He was the one that represented the people to God. He's the one that came before them and he took them and he took before God and he laid out their case. He pled for the people. And Aaron went to the Lord on their behalf. Miriam was that one that sang. She's the one that represented worship for the people. So God was reminding them he sent them leaders. He sent them people to go between him and them. The third thing he mentions is that Balak, the king of Moab, and old Balaam. Remember the story of the donkey that Balak sees the children of Israel? He wants a curse to be cast out over him, so he calls to Balaam. He says, I want you to go out, I want you to curse those people. So Balaam gets on his donkey, and his donkey's walking along, and the angel, or the Lord sends some angels in front of that donkey that that Balaam can't see, and that donkey's not going anywhere. Gets down and he beats the donkey. And finally after the third time the donkey says, What have I done to you that you would beat me three times? And the story goes on that Balaam does go to the children of Israel. But instead of bringing curses down upon the people, he blesses them. And Balak is furious. So God always turns curses into blessings. And then the last thing that he mentions. He says, Do you remember what happened? Between Shittim and Gilgal. Well, there's a map here to help us. And these cities may not bring much to light when we first read them. But Shittim was the last campsite before Israel miraculously crossed the Jordan River. 
into the promised land. Gilgal was the, the first city where they camped after they crossed the Jordan. When the priests carried that ark and their feet touched that water, it divided and dried up, and the people miraculously walked across the Jordan. So God is reminding them <coughs> that he provided redemption, freedom, deliverance, leadership, he turned their curses into blessing. And he fulfilled his commitment to bring them into the promised land. <coughs> and God is reminding them of all he has done. Israel is building the relationships on obligation, not loving obedience. Not only does a relationship built on obligation breed selfishness and creates dissatisfaction. But how do we know? How do we look at them? And how do we know they're building, or how do we know we're building our relationships on obligation? Well, Micah lays it out in the next verses. Micah will now speak, but he's going to speak as though he's the people. <coughs> Look at verse 6. What shall I come? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? So their response, when, when they hear the Lord's charges against them, this is what they're doing. They say, okay then, then what do we need to do? What do we need to do to make things right? That's what they're asking of God. What do we need to do to earn your favor once again? So let's see what they offer to get things right in verse 6. Shall I come before you with burnt offerings, with calves, O gear old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? So notice, first of all, the escalation to what they're saying. Bringing burnt offerings of a one-year-old calf. I mean, this would be a prized possession. It would be a calf that was young, that was meant future blessings for the family. Then they moved to a thousand rams. I mean, this was a number that, that would exceed most people hearing this. It was extreme wealth. Ten thousand rivers of oil. Now, do you really, they begin to exaggerate. No one would have ten thousand rivers of oil. And then the firstborn, the unthinkable request. Man, can you just sense the sarcasm in them? I mean, it's like a child that gets in trouble and they say, okay, I know I'm bad. What do you want me to do? I mean, do you want to take all my toys? Do you want to take my favorite video game? How about no desserts for six months, Mom? Or why don't I just take my right arm, Dad? I mean, that's what they're doing. They're acting like little children because they're taking God's sacrificial system and they're throwing it back in His face. How do you want us to make this right? Just tell us what it might be. But the sacrifices were meant to be an outward expression of an inner trust and dependence they had on the Lord, and they were misusing it. What the Lord really wanted, most of all, was not their offerings. He's after their hearts. And we can go through all the right motions. I mean, we're, we're so much like this. We can go through all the right motions. We can do all the right rituals. We can do all the right Christian things and still not be pleasing to the Lord. Think about Cain and Abel. 
when Cain comes back from making sacrifices and worshiping the Lord, and he murders his brother, you can do all of the right rituals. You can go through all the right motions and turn around and do something so evil and wicked. See, God doesn't desire rituals sacrificed from changed and divorced from changed lives, but lives that are given over completely to him. But Israel was simply trying to buy or, or maybe to earn the Lord's favor. They were offering God everything except what the Lord was asking for, their loving, obedient hearts. So God turns around. God turns around on them. He says, keep all your false worship. Keep all of your rituals and your sacrifices. But here, here's what I really want. Look at verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And so what he's done here, he's kind of outlined three things um, that, that the Lord is after. One, he says to do justice, meaning to be fair in your dealings with one another, to treat others as you should. Or as our memo always said, don't do what everybody else is doing. Do what you know is right. And do justice, be about that, be about other people and making sure your dealings with them are right. And then he says, love kindness. It's that word hesed, it's loyal lover or faithful of. It means this, it means to carry out all of those good intentions and commitments to meet the needs of others. And how many times have we talked about that, that good intentions are useless unless they're acted upon? He says, do justice, to love kindness, love loyally and faithfully. And then it says, to walk humbly before the Lord. And man, I had something great when I read that. Oh, I thought, man, I know what I'm going to do here. I'm, I'm going to go after, you know, that thing about where you just can't have a quiet time unless you post it on something social media. Well, you know what it is. It's that, it's got to be the wooden table. It's got to be the Bible with the cup of coffee and the three highlighters. And you got to get the right filter and... Man, I was ready, and that's not at all what this word means. And I'm like, well, thank you, Micah. This is what humbly means in this text. It means to walk cautiously and carefully. It means God is asking you to walk and to be on guard, that the enemy is alive and well, and always beware. Never let your guard down. Be cautious. We must watch over our lives, he says, over and over again, to carefully live our lives and do not drift into areas that we have no business being in. But here's the problem. A relationship built upon obligation, it can look really good on the outside. It can look like justice. It can look like loving kindness. And it can even look to be someone that is walking humbly before the Lord. And that kind of relationship can fool a lot of people. But it will never fool the Lord. He knows exactly. He knows that every time you do something, he knows your heart's motive behind it. And God is not after our actions based on obligation. He wants our hearts. And watch what the Lord does. He now revisits the sins of the people. Because he's the witness. He, he sees it all. Look at verse 9. The voice of the Lord, it cries to the city and it is the sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. 
Can I forget any longer the treasures of the wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accused? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So God is showing that the same people that are going through all the obligations of ritual sacrifice, of calves and oil and whatever it might be, are the same people that are turning around and cheating and lying their fellow man. They're using scales that are improper. They're lying with their tongues. They're going through all the right rituals. They're going to church. They're in a Bible study. They're doing all of the right things. They're trying to appease God. They're trying over and over again. But then they're turning right around and being dishonest with those that they're to be one with. And they had a false sense of relationship with God. Their true hearts, it's what happens. They're seen in how we treat each other. And that's why Jesus, when he's asked, what is the greatest of all commandments? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He knows that hearts that are fully given over to the Lord, it'll be seen in how we treat each other. But relationships that are built upon obligation, they're always going to end in dissatisfaction, disappointment, and as we've seen in disillusionment. They're disillusioned about what the relationship with each other is supposed to be about. They're disillusioned about the relationship with the Lord. So notice what God's going to do in the last four verses. God says, therefore, because of what you have done, I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat and not be satisfied. You shall hunger within you, and you shall put away but have no preserve. And what you preserve will be given to the sword. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread uh, olives but, uh, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes but have no drink of wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels that I might make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my So he says, first of all, he's going to bring them to ruin. They're going to eat, but they're never going to have enough. You know what that is? That's dissatisfaction. They're going to eat, but they'll never be full. They're going to save. They're going to put away for another time, and it's going to be taken away from them. When they go to open those barns, nothing's going to be there. When they go to, to sacrifice that calf, it's not going to be there. You know what happens? That's disappointment. They're going to plant crops expecting this crop is going to rise up and they're going to count on it. But when that harvest doesn't come, it's a complete disillusionment. They're going to press those olives, but there's going to be no face cream for their wives and no cooking oil. They're going to trample grapes, but they're going to have no wine for their celebrations and their weddings and their meals. And this is the results of relationships built on obligation. Because relationships built on obligation, they always end in dissatisfaction, disappointment, and disillusionment. But you might be thinking, then how do we keep, how do we keep from building 
relationships on obligations, especially the Lord. How do we do that? How do we make sure we're not building our relationships on that? And I think the answer is right in our passage today. And I see two things. One, I would say never lose sight and never stop reminding yourself of God's goodness in your life. We can easily get into that mindset that says, all of this is good, but what have you done for me lately? I mean, think about that list that he gave the people. Deliverance from slavery. Leaders like Aaron and Moses and Miriam. The blessings that came from Balaam. But now think. Now think about what you get to add to that list. The promised Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. Christ has died on the cross. Christ rose from the dead. And Christ is reigning and he intercedes for you. And there's only one more promise we're waiting on. And that is for him to return and to bring his bride home. And the more we think about God's goodness in our lives, even if we have to be fighting hard for it, we will be moved from obligation to loving obedience. Meaning we need to overwhelm our current circumstances with God's faithfulness and goodness in the past. We need to, every time that comes, we need to overwhelm whatever it is that comes. And sometimes it is hard to fight for that. But we need to overwhelm our current situation, our current uh, circumstances with God's faithfulness and goodness in our lives. But the second thing is in verse 9, where it says, Hear or heed the rod. What that means is that Judgment is always a form of grace. That we need to heed, we need to hear, we need to heed the rod. First of all, God, here's the first thing about how the rod is grace. God is not obligated to warn us, but he does because he loves us. If God didn't care, you know what he'd do? He wouldn't give you any warning. He would not have given them any warning. He would have just brought destruction and let it happen. But because he is graceful, because he does love, he warns us that grace, uh, that judgment is coming. But the second thing I would say about hearing or heeding the rod is use the judgment or the warning to our good. Judgment comes in all shapes and sizes. Judgment isn't always that, that blazing inferno, but sometimes it's through those small disappointments and frustrations that we feel. And in that moment, all the bad news, the disappointments, and the frustrations, it could be an opportunity to examine our hearts. We need these moments. We need moments like that that remind us to examine our hearts to see, are we truly His in that moment? The other day, I was driving straight down Broadway. Lord, have mercy. And uh, I'm, I'm headed down straight down Broadway. Man, I, I'm in a hurry as you know, I'm important, I'm a big deal, and uh, I've got places to be, and um, I've got people that need me to do something, all those sort of things. I'm, a, you know, I'm just important, and I'm driving down in the very last light right in front of the new shopping center. It turns just enough that I can't make it through, and man, I pull up, and I look over, and, I, and if, if you were in that line, I apologize, but every car that came by, I'm just shaking my head. At every car that turned, that turned that light red for me, I was shaking my head in disgust 
that what in the world do they think? Don't they know where I need to be? And I found myself shaking my head at people that were driving down. And at that moment, the Lord said, you're not a big deal. You are not important. And your time is not more important than anyone else. And so you know, it can even be in those small little disappointments, in those small little frustrations that cause us to stop and to say, in that moment, selfishness was ruling my heart. I need to quickly turn and confess that and say, Lord, you're right. Because relationships that are built on obligation, they're always going to end in dissatisfaction, disillusionment, and disappointment. But the thing to take away from today is, Man, overwhelm. Every time those, how do we stay away from that? Man, overwhelm your current situations with the goodness of God in our lives. And we will be driven to loving obedience and not obligation. And second, heed the rod. It is for our good. So church, God is not looking for just offerings. He's not looking for just offerings, but the hearts and the allegiance of the offerers. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you once again for being gracious to us. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray it has been helpful for us today. I know that we sit here from many different things of life through many different circumstances, and there's no way one person could know where everyone is. But Lord, you do. And so, Lord, we pray that your truth this morning... That sin always demands judgment. It, it has to. For you to be God, sin must be punished. But Lord, your judgments, they are always wrapped in grace. And so Lord, as we leave today, as the circumstances and the things that will come against us this week, help us to overwhelm them by remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of you. In our lives and the lives of those we read in Scripture, and Lord, in those moments of frustration and disappointment and disillusionment, help us to heed the rod. Help us to take those moments that we would examine our hearts, that we want to be true offers of you that have our whole hearts and not out of obligation. And Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.